So, Mike, we're going to do something a little bit different this week. Okay. My, my thought was uh, we could draft topics out of a huge Wikipedia article about common misconceptions. So misconceptions, of course, are beliefs that are widely held mm-hmm. that, frankly, are just uh, – just incorrect. And these misconceptions vary from nature to science, uh, topics spanning everything you can think of. And it's a really big article. And I thought we could each pick some of our favorites or notable ones mm-hmm. and kind of see where we end up. I want to give a disclaimer, though. Okay. Common misconceptions are interesting because they're things that you think you believe and then they're not true. The fact that these are on Wikipedia, I don't know if it necessarily warrants the fact that these are correct, right? Like, what is the misconception, you know? So these are just things that we found in this article. I think that's a good way of putting it. So these are things that we found that there is a apparent misconception in a Wikipedia article. We wanted to read them because we found them entertaining or interesting. Perfect. Uh, So I think we have each prepared five. I have five. I have my five. Okay, I've got my five, and we're going to uh, we're going to see how we how we go. And I'm going to start us, and I'm going to dispel the myth that the Great Wall of China is not, as it is claimed, the only human made object visible from space. Hmm, okay. So I think we've probably all heard that at some point. Uh, it turns out, actually, none of the Apollo astronauts reported seeing any specific human made object from the moon, and even Astronauts say on the International Space Station, can they can barely see the Great Wall of China. And that's because it's actually not very wide, and the coloration doesn't really stand out from the, from the vegetation around it all that much. International Space Station Commander Chris Hadfield, everyone's favorite astronaut probably, actually attempted several times to locate it while on orbit. They have big telephoto lenses and stuff, uh, and said that it was difficult to do. However, there are things that are easily visible – from low Earth orbit, including uh, lights. So cities just light up on the globe. You can see them very easily. And I'll have a link in the show notes to a list of human-made structures visible from space. There are lots of options. The Great Wall of China is not the only one, uh, and it's actually itself difficult to see. That's pretty cool. I wonder how that came about. Surely, is there not photos that show it? Like, How did this happen? Do you, do you even know? I don't. I don't know. I mean, my thought is maybe because the Great Wall of China is so long that it feels big, but those two yeah. things aren't the same thing. Like, really, you would need the the width of it to make it easier to see. I think. Uh, but it's such a an, obviously a hugely impressive feat of engineering, and it's beautiful when you see it in photos. Then maybe people just like the, the idea that hey, that thing's visible from space. So we're going in a pretty different direction. I want to talk about the Garden of Eden. Okay. But more specifically, in the book of Genesis, Eve eats an apple in the Garden of Eden. We all know that, right? Sure. I feel like you're getting ready to tell me that. It may not. Maybe not. We don't know, but maybe not. Okay, so the forbidden fruit mentioned in the book of Genesis is never actually identified specifically as an apple. But this has ended up becoming the symbol in most Western art and literature. The original Hebrew texts only mentioned the words tree and fruit. So it could be anything. Could be an orange, could be an avocado, or maybe even a durian. You know, they all come from trees. Where does confusion come from? Why do people think that this is definitely an apple that's being described? The confusion could be because the earliest Latin translations of the Hebrew text use the word mali, M-A-L-I, which can be translated to mean both evil or apple. It's the mm. same same word for both things, right? Yeah. So apple fruit, evil fruit. Furthermore, 
In early Germanic languages, the word apple can be used more broadly to categorize all fruit. So, uh, so what you're saying is this word is not as specific as we may think of it today. Exactly. Therefore, German and French artists commonly depicted the fruit as an apple from the 12th century onwards. John Milton's Areopagitica from 1644 explicitly mentions the fruit as an apple. Sure. Who who isn't familiar with that work in an intimate way? <laughs> we all know it. We all know it. Jewish scholars have suggested that the fruit could have actually been either a grape, a fig, a wheat, which is interesting, an apricot, or an etrog. An etrog is a citrus fruit used by Jewish people during the week-long holiday of Sukkot. So there you go. Maybe, maybe not an apple. What you're saying is there's a possibility that gluten is to blame for the fall of humanity. Yes. If it was wheat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I'm going to go with. Wheat is the one that stands out to me as being the weirdest. It is. Because people don't eat wheat. Like, you don't just pick up wheat and eat it. That's not a thing, but who knows? <laughs> You've inspired me. I'm going to go. That's really good. That's really good. I was pretty proud of that one, actually. I'm going to go with another food-themed one Okay. to follow up yours. Uh, and I hope that you didn't pick this one, because this is one that, like, I think you could really talk about, because it's it's just weird enough. And, like, it's one of those things that we could all try it, but none of us do, because we just believe this. So the idea is that you can only balance an egg during an equinox. So that time uh, right in between seasons where it's got sort of uh, right in the middle of a, of a, the spring season, the spring equinox. And people say that there's some sort of astronomical reason, gravity, the sun, the moon, we're all aligned. So you can balance an egg on its end. And I don't know about you, but I've actually tried this. When I was putting this together, I actually tried to balance an egg and I couldn't do it. Well, it's not the spring equinox, right? Well, turns out, there's no relationship between the date where the earth and the moon and the sun is against the ability to balance an egg. It turns out most people are just really bad at trying to balance an egg, including me. So it's possible to do any day. time. Any day. So, but like, it is possible to balance an egg because I've never done it. It is possible. I've never actually tried, though. It's possible. It's difficult, uh, but you can do it any day of the year. The tradition of balancing eggs on a particular date originates in China and it was reported on by Life magazine in 1945. Just a couple decades later, like in 1987, um, there was another article saying, well, you can actually balance some eggs any day. Uh, this one particular reporter did it from February to April. So, yeah, it's just it's just not true. Like the whole time. That's a, that's a long balancing egg. Two months it was sitting there. That thing's going to start to turn. Mm-hmm. Mm. Get up and walk off on its own. <laughs> Talking about walking, actually, I want to talk about sleepwalking. Ooh. So I'm sure that we're all aware that waking somebody if they're sleepwalking could cause such a shock to them that they might die, right? We've all heard this. This is wrong. Walking sleepwalkers doesn't harm them at all. Of course, if you are suddenly awoken and find yourself to be in the kitchen making a sandwich, you would be quite surprised. (laughs) But the biggest problem you would face is temporary disorientation. It is, of course, of course, when you think about it, significantly more dangerous for you or anybody else to be walking around whilst asleep with your eyes closed in your home. Who knows what trouble you might be getting up to, right? Yeah, you could wander outside and get hit by a train. How close do you live to a train track? Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> not, not really that close. Also, trains yeah. are loud. That'd probably wake you up. But yeah, I get what you're saying, right? You could, you, could, you could walk through a window. You could fall down a flight of stairs. Lots of really bad things. So next time you see Aunt Mary wandering around trying to uh, exit the house through a closet door, give her a little nudge instead. <laughs> That's a very specific example. <laughs> I don't, we don't need to get into this right now. 
This episode of Ungenius is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store, or maybe you need a portfolio to show off your work, or maybe you want to create the next big blog. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all that stuff, and there's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades are needed. You don't have to worry about that kind of stuff because Squarespace has it covered. If you do need help, they have award-winning 24-7 customer support. They allow you to quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and you can pick from all those award-winning templates that are all beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. At FM, we've used Squarespace from day one for our blog. Anytime we have an announcement about a new show or event tickets or anything, that all goes on Squarespace. Their plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial today with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com ungenius. When you do to sign up, use the offer code ungenius to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name and to show your support for this show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash ungenius and the code ungenius to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Let's pick one that actually involved one of our favorite TV shows, The Mythbusters. Ooh, yeah. So I think we've all been to tall buildings and they say, hey, don't drop change over the side. You could kill somebody, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it's actually very true for some reason just in popular culture that a penny dropped from the Empire State Building would kill a person on the sidewalk walking under uh, underneath the, the the building, right? So it seems obvious. You're walking down the sidewalk. You're listening to an episode of Ungenius. Yep. Some jerk drops a penny off the top of the building, and then you're toast. It goes straight through your head. You know, like cuts you in half. That kind of thing, right? Right. A, a penny in the brain, as Ben Franklin once said, <laughs> is not a good situation. I'm pretty sure he said that. Penny in the brain keeps the doctor busy. Refrain? I don't know. We'll workshop that. We'll work on that one. Mm-hmm. This is not true. So when you talk about terminal velocity, terminal velocity is how fast an object will fall through the atmosphere because you have gravity pulling the object down, but you have air resistance that makes uh, makes things slow down, right? So everything has a terminal velocity. The terminal velocity of a falling penny through the atmosphere is somewhere between 30 and 50 miles an hour. So that's really fast, Mm. but it can't ever go faster. Even if you dropped it off a building twice as high, it could not exceed its terminal velocity. And at that speed, the energy contained in that penny is not enough to penetrate a human skull or even to crack the sidewalk. Uh, This Again, this was demonstrated on an early episode of Mythbusters. Now, that's not to say that you couldn't harm somebody, that they would feel it, it would hurt, but it's, it would super hurt. It would hurt real, real, real Right. You're going to have a, a headache, but it's not going to crack your skull. It's not going to kill you. Uh, as the Mythbusters noted, the Empire State Building is actually kind of a stupid example because the way the building is shaped, it's more or less impossible to drop something <laughs> from the top and it land on the ground because the building kind of steps out at several points. All right. I want to go from something super tall. Something super small. Ooh. Napoleon Bonaparte. Oh, yeah, he's short, right? Little guy. Just a little, little Napoleon B. This is what we've all heard. Turns out, this is wrong. He was, in fact, slightly taller than the average height of a Frenchman for his time. Wow. After his death in 1821, the French emperor's height was recorded as five feet and two inches. So that's small, right? Five foot two is pretty small. 
but this is in French feet. What? Which is a different measurement to English measurements. Of course it is. In English measurements, he would have been recorded as five feet and seven inches tall, which would have been above average for the time. Some believe that his nickname, which only added to this idea, La Petite Caporal, was actually a term of endearment, not a joke about his stature. Napoleon was also often accompanied by his imperial guard, who were actually selected for being people above average height, which would have only contributed to the perception that he was comparatively short, especially in paintings. I've got to say, I honestly believe that he was short. You've, you always hear that, right? You, you... 100%. 100%. Well, cause the, but the paintings show him that way. But it's because whenever he was standing next to people... If it was accurate for the time, he was standing next to really tall people. And then later on, everyone just assumed that he was short, so they painted him that way. But turns out he was above average height. Who knew? I didn't know. You didn't know. I'm going to stick with the biography theme for a second. I'm talking about Albert Einstein. Okay. So when you're a kid. He didn't exist. Yeah. He was alive. Fake. <laughs> <laughs> next. I think we've we probably heard growing up, right? Like in an encouraging kind of way, hey. Don't worry about your failure because Albert Einstein, you know, he failed math classes and he ended up being world-class genius. Mm-hmm. Not true. Uh, this actually was already in circulation when Einstein was still alive and he addressed it head on saying, I never failed in mathematics. Before I was 15, I had mastered calculus. Like, of course, right? Of course he did. Yeah. Of course he was good at maths. Like, it seems so obvious. Right. There is, however, a nugget, little nugget of truth in this. Einstein did fail an exam. However, it was not mm-hmm. a, a math class or a math exam, as the rumor has it. It was his first entrance exam into the Swiss Federal Polytechnic School in 1895. He was two years younger than the age that students were accepted. Uh, and he actually scored exceedingly well in mathematics in the science sections of the test, but failed some other things that made the exam uh, the exam non-passable, but he did pass it with flying colors on his second attempt. So he did not fail a math class. He actually did exceedingly well in math on this exam that he did fail, and he was two years younger than anyone who had ever taken it. So I think that's uh, I think that's forgivable. So uh, breaking news: Einstein was smart. Well, you heard it here first. Yep. Um, I we've done pretty good, I think, at giving segues between our topics. Mm-hmm. I have literally no segue to this one, and I'm only picking this one now because I have a specific one that I want to finish on. I want to talk about dyslexia. Contrary to popular belief, dyslexia is not actually a cognitive disorder which is characterized by the reversal of letters or words. Dyslexia is a disorder in people who have at least average intelligence and have some difficulty in spelling, reading quickly, writing out words, sounding out words in their head, pronouncing words when read aloud, or understanding what they've read. So it's not, it, it, there are many things about reading and writing in dyslexia, but the actual reversal of letters or words is not a symptom of dyslexia itself. Some dyslexics will also have this condition, but it is a separate thing. It is not a symptom of the condition of dyslexia. I'm going to blow your mind, Mike. Okay. There is a common misconception that Albert Einstein was dyslexic. There's the segue. I knew it was there. But it is it is believed, according to his biography and a couple other sources, that he that he was not 
Dixoxic. But people believe that. And so there is your uh, there's your retroactive. That is known as a reverse segue. segue. We'll do it afterwards. I'm going to bring it all the way back to what we talked about actually last week's last episode. We talked about summer in the northern hemisphere. I want to talk about hemispheres for a second. Okay. So close your eyes and picture a mm-hmm. toilet. You flush the Thank toilet. You. The right. water goes around a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. And it's widely believed. I've I've had had people say it to me. If you're in the southern hemisphere. The water goes the other way. And the idea is that it is due to the Coriolis effect, which talks about things rotating in a reference frame. It's all very complicated, and this Wikipedia article is very long. But basically, if you're in the northern hemisphere or the southern hemisphere, water circulates a different way. This, uh, this could be true if the water was so still, basically the only effective rotation passed onto this water was the rotation of the earth itself. So the water would have to be so still, the only outside force is the earth spinning around its its axis. And quite frankly, outside of very specific lab conditions, that's pretty impossible to achieve. So if you flush a toilet or you run water in your sink, the force of the water coming out of the faucet and interacting with gravity and interacting with the bowl or the sink, that force is way higher than the force exerted on it by the spinning of the planet. So if the toilet, you know, the, the, the intake on the toilet bowl is from the right, pointing clockwise, that's the way the water is going to go, no matter if you live north or south of the equator. That's interesting because I, I like that one because it's a thing that does exist, which is the Coriolis effect, but it doesn't actually affect the thing that people attach it to. But do, is it true, though? Do you know, like in, in Australia, do they just set them up to flow the other way? I don't know. I don't know where it came interesting. from. I have I have a good one for you here, and this is I think I'm doing this mostly in part because of your uh, desire to shout USA USA all the time. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the great inventor and father of the automobile, Henry Ford. USA, so Model- USA, yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, you keep that to yourself for a second, because whilst the Model T was a huge breakthrough in automotive history, Ford was not actually, as he is credited, the inventor of the first passenger car, neither was he the creator of the assembly line. What? The true title of the creator of the car goes to a man you may be familiar with, Carl Benz, the co-founder of Mercedes-Benz. Benz was granted a patent for his first engine design in 1879, having created it a year earlier. And his first car, the Motorwagen, was built in 1885. He was awarded the patent for this design and for this uh, motor vehicle in 1886. The original Motorwagen only had three wheels, and he sold 25 of them between 1888 and 1893, when he then introduced a four-wheel version. (laughs) Mass production of the of a of motor cars in general began in 1901 at the Olds Motor Vehicle Company owned by Ransom E. Olds. The concept was then expanded greatly by Henry Ford beginning in 1913. He did in fact create the world's first moving assembly line, but the 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 idea a little nugget of truth. He did something, right? And and also of course, the Model T can be credited for severely increasing the availability and production of the motor car but henry ford did not invent the motor car there were motor cars many years before him and there were people making motor cars on an assembly line many years before him as well 
So the idea of an assembly line in general has existed long throughout human history anyway, right? Like the idea of an assembly line being created in the 1900s just isn't true because you can find examples of this throughout history of people just standing in a row and building something together. Um, but yeah, there you go. Ford did not create the car or the assembly line. So we're a letdown. Mm-hmm. I think I think Olds was an American though, so you know he was the first person to to build a car on an assembly line. But uh, the credit of of building of creating the automobile will go to car bands. It's funny to me, really, that the person who did create it was a founder of a company that's still very successful in a business today. Mm-hmm. You'd think that Mercedes would lean into that a little bit more, but yeah, turns out no. Well, if you want to learn more about these misconceptions, there are a whole bunch of links over on the website, relay.fm slash ungenius slash 59. Uh, Mike, I- you can play along at home because there are many, 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 many more misconceptions more. that you can read for yourself. I don't. Th- it wasn't a super exciting draft. I don't think we sniped each other at any point, but there's so, I mean, no. there are just hundreds of them. So it's, It would have been almost impossible for us to find a way to do that, I think. Mm-hmm. So if you want to read more, go check out that URL. You can get in touch. You can send us an email from the website. Or you can find us on Twitter. The show is at Ungeniust. You can find Mike there as I-M-Y-K-E. And you can follow me as I-S-M-H. A bunch of our topics come from listeners, so send in your favorite weird things on Wikipedia. And until our next evil fruit basket arrives at our egg-balancing <laughs> convention, Mike, say goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>